Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Here in our March Madness Atlanta studios, we've got a great show for you as we get ready for the NCAA tournament, which will tip off Thursday on True TV and TBS with those two 16-seeded games and then the two 11-seeded games. Those first four games will feed into the NCAA tournament for games on Saturday to the left side of your bracket. The right side of the bracket will start on Friday. I love this aspect of the NCAA tournament this year. Each day, it'll be one side of the bracket, so it'll be very easy to follow. The pod system was much more for geographic regions. I get it. I hope they don't go back to it because I love that we've got one side one day, the other side the other. Very easy to follow for everyone across the country. All right, got a packed show for you. Seth Davis from CBS Sports will join me as well as from The Athletic to break down his bracket and getting to this point. Also, Brad Underwood, head coach of Illinois, the number one seed out of the Midwest. Mike Boynton, the head coach from Oklahoma State, which, by the way, could meet Illinois in a Sweet 16. Joel Ayayi, the guard from Gonzaga, the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. The Zags, the number one seed in the West. And Buddy Bayheim son of Jim Beheim, but certainly one of the best shooters in the NCAA tournament. The Syracuse Orange are playing San Diego State in a 6-11 matchup, also in the Midwest. So a lot to get to in the course of this podcast. Also, a Cats ranks on the top 10 players on double-digit seeds. So we've got a lot to get to. We've got to get right to it. Here's Seth Davis. Seth, we got here. It has been a bumpy ride, but we were on the precipice of the first four on Thursday. Both of us will be in separate places, you in New York, me in Atlanta here, and the tournament's going to start. Just overall, your impressions of what it took to get to this point. Well, you know, I keep saying I don't want to jinx anything, but I've always felt, Andy, all along that getting to this point was the hard part. Getting everybody into the bubble, pseudo bubble in Indianapolis was the hard part. And not everybody made it. They lost a handful of referees who, for some reason, thought it was smart to all go to dinner. You know, that aside, the fact that everybody in that tier one group has to test negative for seven straight days, everything that is set up from the way that they arrive, the travel to their hotel set up, and even the fact that during the games, they're not using traditional locker rooms or using meeting spaces, showerless meeting spaces, might smell pretty awful, but will allow for proper social distancing. So I think we got a great chance to pull off 
this tournament, possibly hitch free. There might be a couple of bumps along the road. You hope not. But getting to this point, getting everybody situated in Indiana was a hard part. Now, hopefully it's all about the basketball. Yeah. And there's still obviously we don't know if a because not everyone has gotten out of their quarantine yet. You know, there could be one or two that potentially pop and but it shouldn't take out a team if they travel the way they're supposed to. It's interesting. Kansas leaving some players behind like breadcrumbs, but their core of their team is here. Virginia, very unique situation, actually quarantining in Charlottesville, preparing via Zoom. And they're preparing to play on Saturday night, traveling Friday. So clearly, if they can't work it out, that would end up being a forfeit because they're going to likely exceed past the Tuesday deadline of saying we're going to be in this thing. And then obviously, they're going to attempt to play. So what are your thoughts on a couple of those scenarios that you've got a little bit of a thinner Kansas and we hope to see a Virginia in some form play Ohio on Saturday night? Yeah, you think the committee kind of did that on purpose, by the way, putting Kansas and Virginia on Saturday? It was a kind of a happy coincidence. Let's just say those teams could could use the extra, the extra 24 hours. Every minute counts. Um, you know, I'm not sure people quite appreciate, Andy, how difficult it is um, to deal with these situations. And we've seen these teams coming out of COVID pauses. I mean, Baylor has still not recovered from what it went through. And in that case... You know, they had probably about half their team, maybe even more, actually get the virus. So not only are they missing time, but they have to recover from the virus, which can have a lot of lingering effects, even when uh, the virus is out of your system and you're not contagious anymore. So for Virginia, you know, you've got a handful. They won't say who, but you've got a significant number of players on Virginia who have spent, by the time they play, will have spent an entire week in total isolation in their hotel room. No practices, no workouts, no treadmill, maybe doing burpees in the room, at the hotel, the dorm room. That's just awfully hard to, to overcome. And the fact that Virginia is playing a very good Ohio team in that first round game is a big, a huge reason why I took Ohio to win. So they'll be in the tournament in some form or fashion. I mean, you only need five players to play, so you might as well take your chance. But I highly doubt this is going to be the Virginia team that we saw before all this happened. So that's sort of the the messy part. But overall, we've had some tremendous play this season. Great teams, games. I mean, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, Luca Garza, Ayodosumu, Kofi Coburn. I could go down. And the Big Ten tournament that I was there in Indy was phenomenal in terms of quality of play and talent and all that. So overall, before I dive into the bracket real quick with you, what are your overall thoughts on at least what we saw on the court? Well, I thought it was a great season. I mean, we still got, you know, over 80% of the games played. And last week was just awesome. I mean, I think all of us, Andy, I know you and I feel this acutely. We're always appreciative of college basketball in March Madness. But this year especially, you know, people, again, are not really locked into the fact that college basketball is the only major sport that got canceled. Everyone else resumed in some form, you know, fashion, truncated, what have you, adjusted schedules, but they got their seasons in, they got their championships in. College basketball didn't. And it was actually interesting. I think it kind of started back when the NBA bubble picked up last summer. You know, as a viewer, the viewing experience watching this games is really not that much different. Now, I know inside the arena, of course, not having fans there was a bummer, but the last week, you know, watching all these games wall to wall, I mean, you'd think after all these years, old men like us doing this as long as we've had, we'd get tired of it. If anything, every year, I'm more and more appreciative of the fact that we make our living like, I mean, everyone else is like trying to skip out of school and skip out of work to watch these games. This is our job. You know, we're going to be in our studios beginning on Thursday for some very, very long days and very, very enjoyable days. The product on the floor 
the narratives, the storylines, the teams. Last week was just an absolute treat, and it was really only an appetizer of the fun to come. All right, so who are you looking forward to the most to see, at least early in the tournament, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Well, gosh, I mean, you can't, it's really hard to pick at any one. I mean, I'm always interested to see how the one seats hold up in that second round game against an eight, nine winner. I mean, once those guys get past the first round, I think some of these two fifteen matchups are, are really interesting, by the way. Ohio State's going to have its hands full with Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts is a really, really good basketball team, the nation's leading scorer with Max Acemas. And also the Houston-Cleveland State as a two fifteen game. You know, Dennis Gates is one of the really hot names on the, on the coaching carousel right now for Cleveland State. He's been there for two years, won Horizon League Coach of the Year both years. He's a, a Leonard Hamilton disciple. And then, you know, the 12-5 games are sort of your classic spots for upsets. You've got an injured Villanova squad going up against Winthrop, which is uh, extremely good. And then you have, on the other side, Creighton, which has gone through its own disruptions, not COVID-related, of course, going up against a really good UC Santa Barbara. So the 5-12, 4-13, and then a couple of, of the 2-15s. And I'll say this message to all you bracket filler-outers out there, to the degree that you're doing your research, when you look at these smaller schools' automatic qualifiers, I always look, Andy, for the distinction between a team that got hot in the end and happened to win its conference tournament, Oregon State comes to mind, versus a team that was great all season and then won the conference tournament. To me, I would lean more towards those teams as maybe if you're looking to pick an upset. And of course, Iona, Alabama certainly will be interesting as well as another 215 with Rick Patino giving him in a week to go against Alabama as, as well as Alabama is playing. Two last things here. One is the last team's in. As I was preparing our previews and I dove deeper into the school that's near where you are out in California, it really is very light, the resume that is, of UCLA. And as much as Michigan State was complaining about being in the first four, I almost had to say, like, UCLA, the more I looked at them, I kind of wondered, you know, how they're even in the field. But there was no one there to grab and take their spot. But it is two brand names in the first four right off the bat Thursday night. What are your thoughts on that matchup? Well, you know, it's interesting. UCLA had that devastating, and I mean devastating loss, as you know, at home to USC with a three-point shot by Tajidi at the buzzer. And that was just, you know, if they win that game, they're not on the bubble. But, you know, certainly I think UCLA is a more reasonable first four team. I didn't think Michigan State belonged in the first four at all because of the, of their quality wins. And again, that's just my personal subjectivity. I lean into the quality wins. You're talking about a team that's beaten two number one seeds and a, and a two seed over the last month of the season. So, and I like Michigan State to win the game. But, you know, it's been interesting watching Tom Izzo bring this team along they did get better defensively, even though they, they lack that rim protection. But, you know, all season long, he's kind of been fighting the fact that they really don't have any real true point guard on this team, which at Michigan State, it's especially hard because they play a very patterned offense. You know, Izzo is basically a frustrated football coach, coaching basketball. And he let go of that and played more NBA isolation. So instead of making Rocket Watts run an offense, just give him the ball, give him space and let him go. And I think everybody got more comfortable with that. And, you know, he's obviously a great coach. So, you know, I like Michigan State to win the, the game, which means UCLA will probably beat him by 20. All right. So everyone always wants to know your final four. If you didn't see mine, I've got Gonzaga, Texas. I'm not high in Michigan right now without Isaiah Livers, Ohio State and Illinois. And then I got a Gonzaga, Illinois final. Got to be consistent as much as I think Illinois could win that game. I did pick Gonzaga at the beginning of the year. So I'm going to be consistent and pick them. What do you have? 
interesting choices there. It, it's funny. It seems like every year there's like one one seed that everybody's picking against. And this year it's Michigan. Uh, the, the injury uh, is obviously a huge part of that. Although with Adam, you know, they still had a shot to beat Ohio State having played horribly for most of that game. And then they still have a shot at the end of the game to win. So what, what do we know? But I've got Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Alabama. I've got Gonzaga over Illinois to win the title. I like to go with upsets. I like to go against the grain. I really was trying to talk myself into picking somebody other than Gonzaga. For much of the season, it was Baylor. But this is not the same Baylor team. But the thing is, Andy, if Baylor does get to the Final Four, they probably will be the same Baylor team again. They really need like a week of practice. They've had game after game after game after game. Now they're back in the lab, getting their legs back with their shooting and especially their defense. So I don't know. It was tough. But I I went chalk, which is not what I usually do. I went Gonzaga over Illinois for the championship. And I will say this, if we get that as a championship game, be great. Uh, that will not be Wisconsin-Michigan State of uh, <laughs> that semifinal in 2000. I mean, that will be highly entertaining yeah. if we get that in terms of an offensive uh, game. Seth, appreciate it. I will see you from afar when you're in New York. Love you, Andy. We'll talk to you over the remotes between New York and Atlanta. We're going to have a lot of fun. Yes, thank you. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Illinois head coach Brad Underwood with over his right shoulder, that Big Ten tournament title, and of course, a piece of the net there from Lucas Oil Stadium. Brad, uh, I've been covering you for quite some time, been there from the beginning of this, and I know this journey was not easy. Uh, There was a lot of bumps in the road. Tell me just what you were feeling when you cut down that net in Lucas Oil after it's been, you know, four years now of trying to get to this goal, to get this team and this program to that point. You know, it's the first time I've reflected and um, I was climbing the ladder. I thought of our exhibitions. We did one of those charity exhibition games at Eastern Illinois and got beat. You know, you're sitting back and you remember that. And I remember Trent Frazier as a freshman sitting at the end of the bench that day, crying, not knowing if he could play in this league. And, and, you know, DeMonte Williams just coming off an ACL injury his senior year, being a part of that. And, you know, four years later, we're center court and standing on a stage, cutting down a net, watching on a big screen as our name selected for the NCAA tournament. And we were, we're holding a trophy and uh, a lot of work, a lot of reflection and, and, you know, a lot of great staff, great administration all make that possible. And, and it was, it was a great day for us. But you're also a great example of the leadership of this university and athletic department of showing patience because it didn't happen right away. You had a vision and you needed someone to believe in you to say, look, give me time. And they did. Can you speak to that aspect of how they were at least in concert with you to give you time to get this right? Well, you know, we live in that microwave society where everybody's got to be great now and and it's got to be win and win, win right now, right. And right away. And, you know, Josh Whitman, our athletic director, you know, I told him, I said, we're going to do this the right way. We're going to build a foundation. We're going to build a culture, something that, um, you know, I truly hope we can sustain for many, many years. And I said, this is a heck of a program. That's why I'm here. And I don't want to do it any other way. And Was it easy? Absolutely not. And we did it with freshmen. We did it with, you know, I would assume we're coming in as a freshman and eight new guys in that class. And living the ups and downs of that season was challenging that, you know, the first season was very difficult and uh, you've got to have guys in, in your corner. And Josh Whitman has been in our corner and uh, Robert Jones, our chancellor has been in our corner. And I really believe we've laid a great foundation of character and 
toughness and everyday guy mentality. But also you changed a little, at least on the offensive end uh, during this four years. How did you alter your own way of thinking to the personnel to some degree? Well, I like to win. <laughs> and the one thing was it, it was more about fitting to the Big Ten. The Big Ten is an old league. It is a, is a league that has tremendous culture, tremendous programs with great histories. And the way we had done it previously, I didn't feel like it was going to work on the road consistently. We've made great changes offensively. We've made some big changes defensively. And, and I think it was just about being flexible and, and not being stubborn and saying, we're going to do it my way when it didn't necessarily fit our league or our kids in the program. Io and Kofi, I think, are great examples also of knowing that they weren't ready yet. They easily could have left. You know, the draft is all about potential, but they weren't ready to leave. And I know we had a pandemic, obviously, and that changed a lot of this. But at the same time, they weren't ready to make that jump, and they were able to reflect on that. Can you speak to just also about their abilities to look at that, how did they make that decision to know they weren't ready and they needed to be better? Yeah, I mean, you just said it, Andy. Anybody can leave, and I mean, it, and that's the easy way to do it is, is to leave and say I'm ready, and and it, it really becomes challenging. But both these guys are very smart. They went through the process. We left them alone. They had to educate themselves, and then it was um, you know about making a decision that's best for them, best for their career beyond their time at Illinois, whether they're back here or not. And, you know, it's worked great for Io. You know, there's a young guy that was, you know, was, had a big reputation out of high school. And, and now he's a first-team All-American. As a junior, he's gained 30 pounds. He's, his confidence is through the roof. And Kofi's just a young pup in, in terms of his basketball understanding and knowledge. And, and, you know, he's gone from a freshman of the year to an All-American. And, you know, that can do nothing but help those guys as they move forward in their careers. What I love about watching your group, too, especially in the Big Ten tournament and watching them interact on the sideline, and I don't know if this is a little bit because of the pandemic, they've had to spend even more time together, but at least from my vantage point and, and talking to them in person and, and via this way, they thoroughly enjoy each other's company. You know, that, that seems to be the truth. Yeah, they like each other. It, and it goes beyond, and, and maybe part of it is pandemic-related. I don't know. But I do know this, and, you know, I've been doing this 34 years that you always have guys that don't necessarily like each other. I mean, they're 18 to 22-year-olds. They've got different agendas. This group's not that way. This group cares about each other. They have fun. They play cards. They throw a football. They laugh and joke. They have tremendous charisma. And I say this all the time. It's character over characters. And this group has just tremendous passion and care for each other. And it's it's very, very evident in the way we, we've played. What did that win in Michigan tell you, especially the way in which you guys beat them thoroughly? You know, and to do that without Io was one of the things that I think galvanized us. You know, our last three at Wisconsin, at Michigan, at, at Ohio State, we had Io in the Ohio State game. It was his first game back. But I think it galvanized us. I think it found out we have some alphas. And I mean that in this way, you know, it, it's very easy to be Robin sometimes. And Io's been Batman for a long time here. Io's terrific. He's the best closer in basketball. But all of a sudden, Adam Miller, Andre Corbello, Trent Frazier back in a role that he had as a freshman and sophomore. DeMonte Williams as seniors hit nothing but big shots. Guys were able to step into those roles, and they've gained confidence from that. And, you know, to have two freshmen do that, 
I'm excited as heck for the future for them. You know, then IO comes back and, and now all these guys are confident and they're playing great. And, uh, you know, it's really helped us. All right. Last couple of very quick things. First off, you mentioned Curbelo. I love him. I love his game, his energy is, you know, but also I think more than anything, he probably, correct me if I'm wrong here, came under the impression that he might be the guy because Io could have left and then Io did come back. And so they had to adapt his thinking a little bit and he's done it marvelously in the way in which he's adapted to that and accepted his role and excelled at it. How has he from your vantage point? He's grown into that, you know, because he is an alpha. He's a guy that's been on the world stage. He's been, you know, one of the considered one of the top five players in the world on the 19 and under FIBA championships when he was 17. He's always been in that limelight. He's always played against older people. He was a dominant high school player and a leader. And now all of a sudden we're saying, come off the bench, come off the bench. And he's, he's had to grow into that. And then, um, you know, the defensive side, the normal stuff that freshmen go through, uh, he went through. But now he's been sensational. He's matured. He's grown. He's figured out the defensive side of things. And, you know, I think he'll be one of the best players in college basketball next year. The mask. Io easily could have gone with the clear mask, which is what people traditionally go with. I'm just curious, what was your reaction when he showed up looking like, whether it's Batman, some superhero, or as he now calls himself the Mass Mamba? Well, I called him Catwoman. <laughs> um, <laughs> so why would you go with a, what makes you look like like Catwoman? But now we've had some fun with it. And, you know, he, that's, that's just Io's personality. And, uh, you know, we've got a place in, in Champaign that makes those, those carbon fitted masks. And, and it was, it was what he wanted and, and, uh, he's become acclimated to it, wears it everywhere. I mean, we, we don't ever see him with it off. And as he said, as long as I've got to wear it to play with, I'm going to get used to it. So he can wear whatever he wants. He's earned that right. I'm not going to try to get ahead of you because you got Drexel first off. You know, you're going to have to earn this. There's a lot of potential landmines in this bracket in the Midwest, including a school you used to coach at. If that, if you get that far, how prepared is this group to be the hunted instead of the hunter? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we've really fought off pretty well in the last half of Big Ten play. We've been ranked. We've been a team that's been toward the top. I think we've gotten a lot of people's best games. Uh, you know, I, I look at our last six games. I mentioned those three, and then, you know, Rutgers, Iowa, uh, Ohio State in the tournament. I think we've got 13 quad one wins, which is more wins than most most teams have played quad one games. The Big Ten prepares you for that. And, uh, you know, it's literally just one game at a time. And we're not going to disrespect anybody. we got to play great. Otherwise, you go home in this tournament. So we're going we're gonna to show up and try to be our best when we need to be, no matter what the other jersey says on the front. Appreciate it, Brad. I love that trophy in the net behind you. There's a chance you may get another one of those in uh, three weeks. We'd love to be in Indy for a long time. Thanks, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, next here on March Madness 365, Katz ranks top 10 double-digit seed players. Now, you may have heard of some of these players because they're on brand names. Problem is, they're on double-digit seeds. These are the rules. Start at number 10. Max Asmus. He was the Summit Player of the Year out of Oral Roberts, averaging 21 a game. Oral Roberts, 15 seed. They'll take on Ohio State, a two seed. At number nine, Ethan Thompson from Oregon State, a 12 seed. Oregon State won the Pac-12 tournament title. 
Wayne Tinkle doing an outstanding job with the Beavers out there, getting this team to play well late. At number eight, Nemish Keita from Utah State. The Aggies are an 11 seed. Keita, an outstanding rim protector, defensive player of the year in the Mountain West Conference. At number seven, Dante Harris from Georgetown. He was the Big East MVP in the Big East tournament as a freshman guard. Georgetown on a great run to win the Big East tournament title. They are also a 12 seed. At number six, Jason Preston from Ohio. They're a 13 seed. They'll take on fourth seed of Virginia. We have no idea how Virginia is going to play in this tournament because they're arriving the day before their game because they had COVID issues. But Preston put out highlights about himself to get recruited. He did, and now he has led the Bobcats to the MAC title and into the NCAA tournament. At number five, Buddy Beheim from Syracuse. Three-point shooter, has played very well down the stretch in the ACC tournament. They lost at the buzzer to Virginia, and Syracuse is an 11 seed taking on six-seeded San Diego State. At number four, the co-player of the year in the American Athletic Conference out of Wichita State, an 11 seed, Tyson Etienne. He's had an outstanding season for the Shockers and new permanent head coach, Isaac Brown. Now we're going to get to the Big Ten section of our rankings. At number three, Ron Harper Jr. from Rutgers at 10 seed. Ron Harper Jr. can score in a variety of ways. He's big, he's strong, he can post up, he can shoot from the perimeter, does a little bit of everything for the Scarlet Knights. They take on the seven-seeded Clemson Tigers. At number two, 10-seeded Maryland's Daryl Morsell. Morsell was the Defensive Player of the Year in the Big Ten. He's going to have a tough assignment, but he's up for the challenge as he takes on either James Booknight or R.J. Cole from UConn. He was playing with a shoulder injury that he had, pop out multiple times, showed his toughness, great leadership for Maryland and Mark Turgeon. And at number one on my list, from a double-digit seed, Aaron Henry from Michigan State. The Spartans are an 11 seed. They'll take on UCLA in the first four as an 11 seed. Look, Aaron Henry declared for the NBA draft. He came back. When he's on, he's one of the better players in the Big Ten. He's just been a little inconsistent. He may go on a nice run in this NCAA tournament on a double-digit seed, despite being on a brand name. But hey, it qualifies for this list. So Aaron Henry is my number one player for Cats Ranks on double-digit seeds. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Joel Ayai from Gonzaga in the controlled environment in Indianapolis. Joel, this has been a long time coming. This has been the goal to get to the NCAA tournament. You got there undefeated. First off, what is the mood and optimism of this group? I'm in great mood. Uh, obviously, you know, first of all, seed, uh, like you said, 26 and 0. Uh, I think we could have uh, hardly did best. And, uh, you know, we're just happy to be here. Like you said, it was the main goal. It was a tough season, you know, because of COVID. We're just happy that we're able to uh, to be there and that uh, things are going to get started pretty soon. Joel, I know Coach Few and the staff have really kept you guys under sort of lock and key, but you guys did your part as well. Since your pause in December, can you describe for me just how much you guys have been strict in terms of your own protocols to get to this point sort of unscathed, not just on the court, but also with no issues off the court? We got classes online, even though some of our classes were in person at Gonzaga. We're all, you know, 
try to step up to the next level in order to be in the closest condition to uh, what we'll see here in Indianapolis. I think we did, we did a great job. Coaching the whole coaching staff has been really careful, really preventive, and, you know, just giving us notice every time, you know, that you have to be careful and that because, uh, you know, you get one test that goes wrong in Indianapolis and who knows what, what else can go wrong. So we just try to assimilate as, as best as we can. What has it been like in the few days that you've been there so far in terms of the initial 24 hours of quarantine and getting out on a practice court? Kind of isolated when, uh, when we got here. We completed two tests before we actually could uh, get out of the rooms. We had meals delivered to the room for the first, I'll say, 16 to 24 hours. And, um, and then we had, we had a time to go out yesterday and uh, shoot a little bit and get out of the room and just kind of socialize a little bit. You know, the BYU game really challenged you guys. You guys were down. Uh, you had to mount quite a comeback. What did that game do for you guys to really push you to know that nothing is going to be given to you? You want to win six games, you got to earn it. It was great for us. We had to dig a little deeper, uh, way more than usual. And I think it was a great reminder for us. Like you said, uh, it's going to be one at a time. Every, every game is going to be a grinder. And who cares about 26 and 0 or 10 and 10 or, you know, two and 24, you know, it's going to be one game at a time. Every team deserves to be in this tournament. So uh, there is no relaxing. And there is no taking everything for granted. And you've seen Corey Kispert sort of mature and develop as a teammate. In what way has he just gotten better and better to where, you know, he's one of the first-team All-Americans? Obviously, I would say his leadership, uh, you know, coming in from pretty shy freshman, and he just blossomed into a really good captain. And, uh, on the floor, you know, it's just, believe me or not, his shooting has got better. And when you come in and you're that good of a shooter, I think uh, it says a lot about your work, you know, to uh, still be able to improve as a shooter. And if there's one thing that, you know, people sometimes question about this team, it's always been sort of defensively. But you guys have tightened that this year especially because you're always going to be able to score. But it's defensive rebounding and making sure you close out, especially on shooters. And potential bigs. I mean, we'll see what happens in this tournament. In what way has this team become a much better defensive team this season? Uh, I think we're just more locked in in the coaches' assignments. Uh, we know the coaches' game plan. We're just trying to follow that a little bit more and be a little tighter on that. Coach has a lot of pride in our defensive play. And, uh, you know, we talked about every day in practice. That's what we do first every time we hit the floor in practice. And uh, we're just trying to, you know, value it a little bit more every time. And uh, it, it obviously starts by listening to the game plan. Well, Joel, appreciate you. And uh, obviously glad you guys are safe and sound in there and getting ready to mount the campaign for the national championship as the number one overall seed. Thanks, Joel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Mike Boynton, the head coach of Oklahoma State. And Mike, this has been quite a journey. Uh, there was one point where we weren't sure if you guys were going to be allowed to play in the Big 12 tournament or NCAA tournament. Well, that's all in the rearview mirror. You're here, you're playing, and you got a really good team that could advance in this NCAA tournament. What has this been like to get to this point? There's been a lot of emotion. Obviously, we're super excited to be here, first and foremost. These kids have worked really hard. They've made all the sacrifices that all the teams really have in terms of trying to stay safe and be diligent about the virus, understanding that it was still out there as we went through our season. But there was obviously some angst and concern as to whether we would be able to get to this point, even having done all those things. So 
we're excited to be here. We feel like we're playing really good basketball, certainly in the last three weeks. Having played uh, seven games in 14 days to end the season, only one of those games at home. And uh, we're excited about continuing our season, seeing where we can go. So, Kate Cunningham, I kind of like his, you know, his attitude, his strength, and his determination, kind of like I would assume him, in that when they've both been hurt, they don't lay down. They don't say, you know what, I got to worry about the NBA draft. I got to do this and that. Nuh-uh. They're all in. And I think they're they're wired the same like that. How did he treat his latest injury of making sure that, you know what, I'm going to make sure that I'm still a part of this and I'm going to get back and help this team win? Well, it's a credit to Cade because obviously there's a lot of reasons that he doesn't have to be doing this for Oklahoma State. It's a lot of personal things that he could be trying to focus on to make sure things are good for his future. But the kid was totally committed to the entire process of helping our program and helping his teammates continue to have success. So when he got hurt, basically in the last minute of our game in Waco, he was bound and determined that he wasn't going to miss very much time. Uh, he spent all night that night because we stayed in Waco having to fly to Morgantown the next day, getting rehab, getting treatment with our uh, trainer. We actually flew to Morgantown the next day, which aggravated it because of the pressure on the plane, kind of really stiffened up his ankle. But he spent literally all day Friday getting rehab. He rehabbed while we were practicing. And although he missed the game, he was certainly going to be ready to play in the Big 12 tournament. And his just commitment to that continues to give him more buy-in for his teammates and continues to allow them to appreciate that they are a part of this with him, that we're doing this together, that he doesn't feel like he's above them and, and that he's willing to sacrifice and make the commitment that everybody else is for us to win. So what's it like to have a closer like that, knowing that even if you're down two possessions, and we saw this in the Texas game, in the Big 12 tournament title game, you were able to extend that game because he was making shots late. Yeah, I mean, he, he gives you great comfort as a coach. There's no question. And in our two games prior to the Texas game, we were down eight in the second half of our games versus West Virginia and Baylor in the conference tournaments and came back and, and made big-time runs, and a lot of it was led by him. But also Avery Anderson, who's been playing really good basketball for us. But everybody knows Kay's the guy that we're going to have the ball in his hands late when it's close. And uh, having him gives you great comfort as a coach, but it also empowers those other guys because he never thinks that we're out of a game. So to that point, I want to give you a chance to shine some light on some of those other guys. I mean, you mentioned Avery. There are others that have definitely contributed to this rise in this program in this season. Who else has been sort of unsung that is not getting the headlines? Well, Isaac Likely is the one that comes to mind first because he's been here with us the longest. He's our leader. As, as good as Kate is, he's our best player, no question. Isaac is our leader. He's our most experienced guy. He's been through these battles in the Big 12 for a few years now. He's played most of the year with some sort of injury, whether it be his hand or his foot, and getting him back healthy has been a great attribute to us. Uh, Caleb and Keelan Boone, our twin brothers who are sophomores from Tulsa, those guys have great made great contributions. Uh, Matthew Alexander Moncrief, the other freshman who doesn't get a whole lot of recognition from Canada, has played well in spurts for us. And Rondell Walker is another one, another freshman. And so it makes us feel good that we're, we're able to win and play games like we did in Morgantown without Cade. But not only right now, that the future of our program is in really good shape because a lot of these guys are really young players. I don't know if you've been able to recruit off of this, but have you yet to, to show recruits virtually 
what it's like to have a big time player with you and how he's all in and and how that's helped the program potentially grow beyond this in the years to come? Yeah, we haven't been able to take the most advantage of it just because we haven't been able to go out and see people and talk to them and face to face and and really get reactions. But we've we've promoted this as much as we can. We've told people about it. The thing that we've uh, feel like is giving us the most credibility is Cade could have chosen anywhere in the country to accomplish some of the things that he's accomplishing now. And now he's an example to other guys that Oklahoma State, you can accomplish all those things. You can become a player of the year in a major conference. You can continue to be highly thought of by NBA folks. And you can win as a one and done. There's was some notion that, you know, guys like him who don't go to traditional powers just kind of bide their time in college. They don't have success. You know, people reference Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons. And first of all, he's nothing like either one of them. They're great players. But he embraced this entire process so well that it's really given us some evidence that we're going to be able to recruit other guys like him who want to do both, become great pros, but also have a great year in their one year in college. So I am on my soapbox with this and people say, oh, you're shilling because, you know, you work with the NCAA as well. But I don't think you can put a price on what Cade Cunningham did for himself, okay, this year you know, 40 and 44 minutes against Oklahoma, the buzz that he's had, similar to Zion Williamson a couple of years ago, Kevin Durant way ago at Texas, Trey Young, who was not expected to be one and done when he was at Oklahoma, all this sort of built-in marketing by playing on television is only going to help rather than, I don't want to slam the G League, but no one's watching that and no one knows where it is. Whereas a player like Cade, is getting all the benefits of being out there because he's performing. From your vantage point, and I know it can sound selfish, but what are your thoughts on how much a player can really benefit from even just this one year for himself, not just for Oklahoma State, not just for you and your staff? Yeah, I I would be honest. I think Kay would tell you that himself. And obviously, he had all the options on the table, and everyone thought he was taking more of a risk here. But what we told him was, you're going to have the opportunity to become a brand yourself as a college basketball player. And, you know, it's kind of come at the detriment of some of our other players because he's gotten so much attention and and recognition, but he's a great player and deserves it. He's on TV every day. I mean, and there's no denying his impact on our program. We've had good players and we have a bunch of really good college basketball players. And we think our program is stabilized and going to be good for years because of this experience. But we also have a true star. And he's shown that he's capable of handling this moment. And I'm not sure. I don't begrudge any kid for making any decision that they think is best for him. But I'm not sure his experience could have been better had he done something different than be on this stage for the last five months like he's been here at Oklahoma State. Well, I agree with you. And I I would just say this to those out there listening. You know, you choose whatever path you want to go down. But if you are excelling the way Zion did and now, of course, the way Kate or Jalen Suggs I mean, it's experience that you can last a lifetime and you're going to get and build your own brand. All right, last couple of things, Mike. First off, life in the controlled environment. How is it so far? It's great. I actually just uh, about 30 minutes ago had my breakfast delivered here. So you kind of get spoiled because you're not allowed to leave your own, but you know, people kind of have to wait on you a little bit. Um, I've enjoyed it. I, I want to give a shout out because I think it's important that people hear this. Dan Gavitt and the team he's assembled to get this thing done and to put in place the procedures and protocols to allow these kids to have this chance to allow our fans who love college basketball to have March Madness again this year after missing out. 
hats off to all of them. We're appreciative of being here. It's been a fun experience. It's been different, no question. You don't feel the buzz around the city because, you know, you know how it is. You're usually around and there's people everywhere and you can just feel the energy. I think as the week goes along, because I think there'll be fans at most of the venues, that'll pick up. But considering everything we've had to do to get to this point, we're thankful and appreciative of being here and looking forward to playing on Friday. How is the swag bag? It's pretty good. The best thing in it, and I actually had read the book already, but I now I got a copy to give to somebody else, is the John Thompson book. I came as a shadow. Uh, great treat. I look forward to passing that on to somebody, but they do it well. They've done a really, really good job of making the kids feel like this is still a very, very special opportunity. I think it's the best event in all the sports. And again, we look forward to having our team be a part of it. All right, last thing, you got to play Liberty first. So how do you beat them? They're really, really good. We have to be incredibly disciplined knowing that they're going to shoot a lot of threes, which means they're probably going to make quite a few of them. We can't get discouraged when they make them. They're well coached. They have three or four guys who've been in this event and have won. And so we can't let their experience overwhelm our youth. And we got to try to impose our will, getting out in transition and trying to get that ball into the paint against that stout pack line defense as much as we can. Mike, as you know, I always appreciate you. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. And uh, hopefully you're in for a little bit of a longer stay here in Indy. Absolutely. We look forward to it. And we hope that we uh, continue to have these nice accommodations that the NCAAs have provided for us. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Buddy Bayheim from Syracuse, from inside the controlled environment in Indianapolis. And, Buddy, this has been quite a journey. No NCAA tournament last season. You are there with your father as the head coach. What has this been like to get Syracuse and help get Syracuse and your dad back to another NCAA tournament? Uh, it's been an up and down year for sure. Just a lot of road bumps here and there. I mean, we played our first game and next thing you know, I'm, I had contact tracing. So I was out for three games. We had three or four pauses during the year. And there were some games where we lost by 20 or 30. And we were like, man, you know, this is, we dug ourselves a hole and we knew we'd have to get out of it by winning some good games. But down the stretch, we're playing our best basketball and you know, offensively, we're just moving better, making it easier for guys to score. And defensively, we're still getting better. Uh, we're undersized, so that's always, you know, a problem for us. But we're just trying to help each other out, rebounding whatever we can. And, you know, I think we're playing our best basketball at the right time. Yeah, so many of your peers this season could have said, you know what, this is too much. And that would have been completely understandable. And some people have opted out in some teams. What got you and your teammates through and really, and your dad and the staff through those pauses? Just staying positive. I mean, you know, it's tough uh, when you're out for 14 days, just nothing to do, you know, with other teams playing. And you know that it's going to be a setback. It's not easy to just jump right into college basketball. It's uh, such a fast-paced game. And, you know, you need those two, three weeks to get ready to play a game. And, you know, now you're just jumping right back into it. But we all just love playing together we love practicing and we just said you know it could be worse we could be sitting at home I mean my brother plays at court now and he was just sitting at home for the last six months just working out and you know we kind of just thought should try to be thankful for even being able to play games we got to play 20 plus games which was just something that I don't think many of us thought we would be able to do and accomplish and we were able to do that so we just said all right we're gonna control what we can control and just be thankful that we get to practice and play games. 
You also have a great practice facility in your house. I mean, you know, not many people had that. And during the, the height of the pandemic, you know, it was hard for a lot of players to get shots up or find a place to play, especially if they didn't even have a, a hoop in front of their driveway. What was that like to at least have something like that? Oh, it's such a blessing. I mean, just to be able to wake up and go downstairs and you got a half court gym and we have a weight room and you know, personally, I love to work out and I feel like if I don't work out one day, I feel like I got worse and I just feel guilty for not doing it. So, you know, just having that, I realized I need to take as much advantage of that as I can. And me and my brother were down there every day. Uh, former player Eric Devendorf, that was the one person we let our family be around because, you know, he worked us out every day and we played one on one. It was competitive. It was fun. And it was just such a blessing having that because we knew that we were very few people that had access to a gym. Uh, you know, local gyms were shut down, high schools, everything. So just having that was so fun. My dad would come down and watch us compete, play one-on-one. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. How much was he coaching versus watching when he would be uh, dropping down by the gym? Uh, he would mostly watch. I mean, every now and then uh, he would say a couple, like he's always a, like a quick pointer guy. So he'll say one or two things and like to fix on like, with me, if I'm missing some shots, I'll just say like fingertips and then I'll just start shooting more of my fingertips. And, you know, he likes to be short and sweet with it, but, you know, he knows how good of a trainer Eric Devendorf is. And, you know, he likes to just watch us and we compete and, you know, we're all competitive. So we get into it and it's a lot of fun, you know, having those four guys in the gym together. So I know your dad watches basketball nonstop watches everything that we do. But when basketball wasn't going on, sort of pre-NBA bubble, so I guess more spring, early summer, what were you guys doing? Uh, man, we were doing a little bit of everything, just trying to do family stuff. Unfortunately, my dad got into TikTok, so he was on that like two hours a day, just full volume so we could all hear it, you know, in the next room. And he was just, he would just watch it all day and just, we'd hear him laughing. And that was, that was really funny. As a family, we watched the Harry Potter series. I've never watched those movies, so we all watched them together. We built puzzles, uh, Lego sets, just about everything you can imagine. And I have a twin sister who's in college, and my brother's at Cornell. So we haven't been home together, you know, in two, three years. So to have that, we just enjoyed it and tried to be thankful for it. The ACC tournament. You got beat at the buzzer essentially by Virginia, but you guys have been playing really well the weeks before. You beat Clemson and Carolina, kind of the games you were telling me about that you had to win and you won them. And you played really well. That game obviously did not go well for you guys against Virginia at the buzzer. But overall, why is this team playing better at the right time? I think, I mean, a big part of it is just we're making shots. I mean, playing, you know, 10, 12 games in a row without any pauses or breaks has helped us because as a shooter, you need to get in a rhythm. You can't play a game and sit out for a week or not know what's going to happen and Playing games has helped us a lot, I think. Uh, I just think we're playing better together. We're moving more. We realize, you know, we're we're a team that needs to help each other out and get each other good shots. And, you know, you can just tell by watching the games, we're more efficient, shooting the ball better and playing together and just having fun. I think, you know, at one point before the Carolina game, the coaches were kind of just like, just go out and play, you know, whatever happens, happens. Just have fun and try to enjoy it and, and play loose, play together and, you know, we've just kind of just said, all right, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, from here on out. And, you know, we've played really well and just have had fun and, you know, look for each other and we've made shots. So I think 
you know, we're just getting better and defensive rebounding's gotten better. Stopping big guys inside has gotten better. We're helping each other out. And, you know, the emergence of our bench has been really helpful. Jesse Edwards, Rob Braswell, and Kadari Richmond have been all great for us. So just a full team effort and just going out there and playing and seeing what happens. San Diego State, they don't play the same defense of Virginia, but they are very defensive oriented. How do you make sure you get off and get your shots off? Yeah, they're a really good defensive team. They can all guard uh, similar to Virginia. Like you said, they pressure the ball. And, you know, it's just similar to the last couple of games, you know, screening, getting guys open. We're going to have to work extra hard to get our shots coming off screens. You know, Marek's a really versatile five man, so he's going to be able to get us open, dribble handoffs, whatever it is. So I think, you know, just moving together, working hard, and we know it's going to be tough, but helping each other out in, in the best way possible. And I think we'll be ready to go. Appreciate it, buddy. No problem. Thanks for having me. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. The tournament starts on Thursday, as always. Want to give a great shout-out to our team, our Turner Sports team, Abby Stoltz, Chad Acock, Michael Kaplan, and the team at Bleacher Report helping us out here, Nikki G and Nick, getting everything done for us on March Madness 365 and the entire NCAA.com team that helps basically repurpose our podcast for everyone to digest on NCAA.com and all our social media platforms. All right, tournament starts in a couple days. Stay safe, everyone. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.